for me, it's like, okay, and here I am, I'm 40 now. Um, and, uh, still challenging myself, still learning a lot, still opportunities to grow. Welcome to the power hour, the weekly podcast that will motivate you to pursue your passion and to achieve success. I'm Adrienne Herbert, international speaker, fitness coach, Adidas global ambassador and entrepreneur. Each week, I'll be talking to today's leading coaches, creatives, change makers, and innovators to find out their daily habits, morning routines, and rules to live by. The Power Hour is all about taking just one hour each day to help you improve your life and unlock your full potential. Whether you want to build a business, write a book, run a marathon, or maybe you're just looking for a spark of inspiration, the Power Hour is going to help you get there faster. Welcome back to the Power Hour podcast. Earlier this year, I was in New York and I got to interview a woman who I personally have admired for so long. She's so inspiring and so humble and just amazing. She is one of the OGs of urban running. She was also previously a teacher and an art therapist. And whether you love to run or not, I really think that you will enjoy hearing her message and her approach to life. So here it is, the Power Hour with Jessie Zarpo. So I'm here in Williamsburg in New York. I'm here with the wonderful Jesse. I'm so, so glad that we could make this happen. So thank you so much for giving me the time. Thank you for having me. Well, first off, I mean, there's so many things that I want to talk to you about, Jesse. You've done so many things. You've helped so many people, you know, you're, and you continue to do so. So I'd really love for the listeners of this show who may not know much about who you are, what you do, if you could maybe take us back a bit, talk us through a little bit of your journey into into running, but also into, I guess, like the community aspect of everything that you do. I know that you grew up the eldest of eight. Yeah. Um, and that you didn't you weren't you weren't born here in New York. So, yeah, take us back a little if you could. And yeah, tell us about the journey. Cool. Well, um, it's kind of. It could be a long story um, because I talk a lot, but I'll try to keep it relevant and brief. Um, I am the oldest child of eight. I grew up um, in the Cleveland area in Ohio and actually moved to New York City around 2003 when I came here for grad school. So I had gone to art school um, outside and... um, became involved in working with young people who were going through um, tough times. Mm -hmm. So I was actually teaching art in a a jail in Detroit and uh, became interested in the idea of art as therapy. So I moved to New York to study art therapy um, at NYU. And during that time that I was here, um, I had to pay my living. Um, I had to make money to pay for school and then also to live. So I started bartending um, downtown and was kind of quickly um, inserted into the nightlife scene um, in New York. And so it was kind of like living a double life of um, working in nightlife and then um, going to school during the day um, for art therapy and um, and then became um, really active in working at an agency that was an alternative to incarceration. Mm-hmm. So my early days here were working seven days a week, um, kind of go, 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 um, 
pretty stressful actually the work I was doing um I really loved it but it was also like very emotionally intense Mm -hmm. and so I um got into running as a way of um I guess de-stressing from my job as a therapist and um I initially was running by myself Mm -hmm. and um then a nightlife guy um had started a run club um what what year was this this was 2003 2004 okay only sorry to interject i was just thinking as you were talking then you know now there's uh, a lot of alternative therapies you know art therapy dance therapy well you know but i think maybe then was it you know how did you find out about art therapy and you know how did you the work that you said you did in the in the prison you know what was that like how old were you then um I was actually really young I think I I started with this um organization called prison creative arts project when I was 19 right and so I was working with teenagers who were only like a year or two younger than myself um and I had a really great mentor um, who was part of this program and she was super passionate about, um, bringing the creative arts to young people, um, who were going through a tough time. Mm. And so, um, I guess I just stumbled on art therapy because there was an art therapist who worked at the jail that I was working at. And I never knew what it was. Um, it still was not really common as a career um, back then, especially in the Midwest. Um, So it made a lot of sense to me that what I was seeing was young people using art as a way of um, dealing with trauma. And um, especially, I think, um, these teens were like dealing with like everything under the sun from like homelessness to gang involvement to drug addiction, um, foster care, like, et cetera. So um, the art classroom that I worked in was like this really powerful space where um, people would come or the kids would come in and they would just basically be able to kind of leave behind all of the stressful stuff that they were dealing with um, and then put it into the art. So to me, like art therapy became really obvious um but I needed to find a place to study and there weren't a lot of programs so um New York happens to be a place where art therapy was um I guess emerging yeah so it brought you here and as you said you know I can imagine it must have been incredibly yeah difficult for you you know emotionally and 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 those kind of being in that environment and I guess being so young yourself and then you yeah so you discovered running so had you been into sport you know growing up were you always athletic you know what was that kind of first run you know kind of what was that like yeah so I was a super active kid um my dad was a decathlete um in his younger days um I used to do like aerobics with my mom And we were always outside playing. Um, Having five brothers, we would have enough people for a team. Um, So we always had like kickball games. My dad would like mow like the lawn to make like a baseball diamond. We'd play t-ball. We did everything. Um, And when I was old enough to play sports in school, I got into track and field. That was actually my first um, sport. 
that I played and, um, and volleyball. And so I actually was, um, a sprinter in my younger days. Um, and never in my wildest dreams would I think I would run like long distance. Um, that was seemed outside of my realm. Um, I can relate. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, I was a a sprinter too. And to me, like running 800 meters was like a marathon, you know, like sprinting is, yeah. A hundred meters, 200 max. Absolutely. 200 was like the sweet spot. Right. I remember my coach wanting me to do 400 and I was like, no way. (laughs) This is too long. Um, but yeah, I guess like fast forward when I met this guy who was, um, a regular at the bar that I worked at, um, he was trying to get me to join his running club or whatever it was that he had started. And, um, I, you know, was hesitant for probably about six months. I was like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I never like ran long distance in a group before. So on my own, I thought like, you know, I could just go out and jog. Um, but I was doing like one or two miles. So, um, it was kind of intimidating the idea of like running or like thinking about yourself as a runner. Um, but I did show up one day and, um, that group ended up being this, uh, community called the bridge runners. And they were the first like urban running crew, um, in New York city and were doing something really alternative to what existed. Um, I think people are always familiar with like amateur run clubs or, um, you know, communities where runners who maybe ran their whole life, ran in college, um, get together to continue to train. Um, but no one had ever really seen a group of like ragtag, um, adults or young people who didn't look like runners out running. Um, and so that's what bridge runners was. And we ran in the streets and we ran through neighborhoods and um, it was so different and weird and exhilarating. Um, And I felt even after that first run, um, I had seen things I'd never saw before. We ran over the Brooklyn Bridge, the Manhattan Bridge, um, and it just was um, immediately like addicting to me. Yeah, yeah, I I know what you're describing, and I think now, now I think it's definitely more. You know, it's more common. There's running communities, there's running groups. Like in most cities, I think if you if you are a runner and you want to find, you know, a local run club, and especially there's more kind of of an urban running scene now. So there's you know there's night runs, there's all of these things. But as you as you described, you know, it can be intimidating for people if they think you know I'm not a runner, or you know, people sometimes say to me, oh, I'd love to be a runner, but I'm like, you can be a runner, and I think that's as you just described, a group of people, they didn't maybe look like runners, whatever runners look like. And it's kind of, you know, not not prescribing to this idea that you have to be one thing to be a runner. And actually, I think it's amazing, you know, the community, the community aspects. I know that's really, really important to you. So yeah, how did you go from that to essentially building your own community of runners in here in New York? Yeah, so it's kind of crazy, because that looking back, it was like, 15 years ago. Um, and the landscape of running today in New York is so diverse and vast. And like, you could literally like toss a rock and hit a running crew or club, um, which is amazing. And I think people, um, 
more and more are approaching the sport um, as maybe never been being an athlete before and now um, are coming out and learning about their bodies um, through these groups. And for me, I had worked um, as an art therapist during the day for 13, 14 years um, and then was doing this sort of night career as a runner Um, and I actually ran with the bridge runners for almost about seven years which is a really long time really long time yeah (laughs) yeah and um, it's funny because even within that time um, there really weren't other run crews emerging in New York City it was like they were it. Um, was it. Was it the same people that seven years? Was it the people there from the start or did it change all the time? It was changing. Um, and I kind of look at it as like almost um, alumni classes because you'd have a group of people. They would be there for hardcore for maybe a year or almost two. And then that would kind of cycle out and then you'd have a new group. And it was there were what we would call OGs that were like always there. Mm. Um, but then it was really new people all of the time. And so at one point I would say, if you were a runner in New York and you never ran with bridge runners, um, that was really rare. Like you, you would have gone through that group at some point. Um, and I think it was really, um, crucial for me like in those early days in New York having that community um just reliable it was every Wednesday night and whether it was raining snowing lightning it didn't matter it was happening um and it was like that family that I didn't have here um and so for me I being one of the first women in that group it was also really important to bring more women in and to also continue to provide like an entry point for new people. So when you joined, were you the only woman? It was, you were running with all men? Um, I would say definitely the first run I came to, there were no women. And many of the weekly runs, there were no women. Um, That's super interesting. Super yeah. interesting. Because I know now, you know, you have a female only running community with girls running RIC. And, yeah. you know, there's so much access now for women to 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 run with men or without but I think you know the fact that you did that you you know you had five brothers so you know you had the confidence I guess to show up and yeah um you know I don't know it's it's I don't think it's hard for people to understand now because Mm -hmm. it's so common now you know what I mean but then as you said that many years ago it wasn't like that and the reason I was asking if you were the first is because yeah, Charlie Dark, you know, I have a, a quote that he called you the first lady of running. Yeah. And there was an episode with Charlie uh, on this show. He's one of the first guests actually that I had. Nice. Really awesome. And I know, I know that you know him. So yeah, I think that's interesting that there were no men, there were no women and yeah. that you showed up, but then thought, okay, how can I introduce more women to this? And mm-hmm. how can I, I guess, I guess you were leading by example. Yeah. I think that's, well, for me, it's always about leading by example. I think I was, that was something that was sort of like drilled into me as the oldest child too is that your siblings are looking at you so whatever you do they're gonna do so you need to be like respectful and responsible and you know there was like a a big sort of like almost burden of responsibility that I bared as a younger person um but that I think I grew into um and so this idea of like 
you know, knowing that there's eyes on me and what I do um, is important in influencing other people. Um, I think it's really special and um, being able to like create a space where other women felt comfortable to be there. Um, And even sometimes people say to me like, well, if you can, if Jesse can do it, I can do it. And I, I love that because um, it's really, you know, to me been one of the most powerful ways of like helping people is by like giving them these tools. And I think running is such a great um, tool that people can have in their lives to um, really, I think, transform themselves um, physically and then also mentally. And I think it also goes across like relationships and careers and um, like all aspects of your life. Mm. Yeah, completely agree. But I think what's always so present for me when I think about you is community you know mm-hmm. it's synonymous with everything that you do so with the girls run NYC community which mm-hmm. you created you know I know that it's not just about the run can you tell us more about girls run NYC and, and how that's how that's helped people yeah so um before I get into girls run I'll just say that after leaving um bridge runners um in 2012 Um, I started a co-ed group called Black Roses um, with uh, another gentleman. And that was a training group where we really wanted to um, create a space primarily for women um, to be able to actually get like significant training um, advice and opportunities to become even better runners. Um, And we did that program for two years. and after two years, it it really became important to me to create a space that was just for women. Um, Black Roses was a co-ed group, and um, there were a lot of things I loved about it, but there were also things that I still felt were missing. And I think in particular, being a woman in the running space, um, in particular the urban running space, that there were not a lot of um, female leads in that space. Mm-hmm. And there were still things that were creating barriers for women to um, participating. So Girls Run was a community that I wanted to create that was not another like club, um, but really a space that was open for any woman to join, um, whether they were in another club or a crew or not. And it would be one time a week. It would be a touch point um, that was women only, coached by women, And that was five years ago. And um, it's been a really beautiful space because, um, you know, it's centered around running or this running workout that we do weekly. But it's become really a like women's community um, because we have this ongoing um, chat group that we use. Women get together outside of the runs, Um, like deep friendships and relationships have come out of the group. We do now retreats yearly where this year we went to Iceland for a week and ran a race together. Um, We now actually have a team for the speed project this year. That'll be girls run led. Um, So it's, you know, some of the women in that group have been there for the entire five years Mm -hmm. and we're like still together and still rocking and, um, I count them as my closest friends. 
So, um, you know, for me, I think part of it has a lot to do with living in New York City, which is can be the loneliest city <laughs> um, in the world at times, even though you're surrounded by people and you're um, in very close quarters. Um, people live in tiny spaces and um, you're on top of each other commuting. But at the same time, um, a lot of young people in particular, like young women, move to the city to work. And um, it's actually really difficult to make friends. And it's hard, especially when people are working long hours, to um, make the time for yourself. And so I think a lot of women actually look to fitness um, as something they do for themselves, like outside of work. Um, but you don't necessarily make connections with people when you go to fitness classes. Sure. Sometimes you do. Um, and I think those are the special spaces. Um, and I think girls run is a space like that where we're really trying to provide like an intimate, um, place to connect with people. That's awesome. And I think what you touched on then about loneliness, I think loneliness, I think it's a global issue right now you know for for young people who you know are more connected than ever online and through digital and in some ways you know we can be connected 24 hours a day we're never in solitude in that sense but actually I think loneliness is very very common I think it's common in in a lot of cities as you described because you know you might move to the city and it's it is an interesting thing you know as a child you kind of thrown into the mix of group it's like be friends you know Mm -hmm. but as adults I think it can be difficult to even how do you navigate that? How do you say to a group of people, you know, can I join you? Or, or you know, making friends in a city. As you said, it's a huge city. There's, you know, don't know how many people live here. But I think London, you know, I'm sure people um, listening to this in whatever city can relate to that. Yeah. Well, that was like when I first landed in New York, my friends were people from the bar, you know, and so like I was developing this whole um, community of nightlife friends, which were, you know, lovely people. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of them I still see and spend some time with, but it wasn't the healthiest space um, because a lot of times it meant you were hanging out at two in the morning when everyone got off of work and then you're going out and you're drinking and you're clubbing and then you're up till the sun comes up. And then you're doing that all over again. Um, And that was fun, but it didn't feel like it could last forever. Um, And it wasn't that healthy and it was not that productive. So then when I found this group that was like getting together to run at night and it felt as exciting as like going dancing, um, maybe more, um, then that started to replace the sort of like unhealthy um, patterns that I was developing. So, and it was cool. Um, so for me, like when I'm creating like community around running, it still has to be fun. Like it can't just be like, we're here to like perform and, you know, like work really hard. Yes, we do want to do that. But at the same time, there has to be like fun elements. Otherwise, like, why would you want to do it yeah Um, yeah for sure and so we talked about you know the communities and the the groups but what about you you know your personal journey because you know Mm -hmm. talked about you doing sprinting and from that I know you've now run marathons and ultras and you know yeah how how did you transition and why do you think that you did because I think often 
I speak to a lot of runners who say to me, you know, it's addictive. And then they'll say, oh, I did a half and then I did a marathon. And they almost want to see how far can I go? Like, what yeah. can I do? Can I, you know, and it's kind of, it's, I think it's either in you or it isn't to kind mm. of really start to challenge yourself mentally and physically to go, well, maybe I could, you know? Yeah. I would say that very first run that I ever did with bridge runners, we ran four miles. Okay. And that was already the longest run I'd ever done. And so from that point, I was very cognizant of the fact that this was about pushing barriers for me. Um, and what I learned through marathoning, through running in general, was that a lot of the barriers that I had in my mind were set by me. And they were not necessarily real. And... Um, I think that, you know, it was like every run in those early days, every run that was a little bit longer or maybe a little bit faster than the last one was breaking a barrier. So in the beginning, for anyone who's just starting out on a journey of running, you're going to experience so many like groundbreaking runs like in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And it's also one reason why I love working with <laughs> new runners is like, they experience so much um, in those first months and years. Um, and so for me, it was like you were constantly like redefining who you are um, every time you're running longer or doing something that you never thought you could do. Um, but then it's like you kind of get to a point where you've been running marathons and you've gone the distance and you also are starting to see other challenges in your life, like managing uh, work alongside of it or relationships or friendships, um, all of the normal life things. Mm. And so um, I think running kind of continued to be like a consistent thread um, throughout all the other life challenges. And so just maintaining a running practice was a challenge mm. in itself. Um, I think for me now, it's like, you'll never, you'll never reach like the finish line, like in the journey of life and, and in running, there's always more, there's always something you haven't done before. Um, you're always going to experience something new each time, like you get out there. So I try to look at it like that. Um, I also do love the challenge of doing something outside of my comfort zone. Mm -hmm. um, so I had the opportunity to run some big races in the last year. Um, one in the Austrian Alps, which was really crazy <laughs> and hard and different um, coming from a street running background. Um, and, uh, and another ultra that I did out in um, outside of Seattle that was really special. So for me, it's like, okay, and here I am, I'm 40 now, um, and uh, still challenging myself, still learning a lot, um, still opportunities to grow. Mm -hmm. uh, and you'll never know, like you'll never be perfect, you'll never know it all. Um, and I think that's what I like about running is like continuing to be able to put yourself in a space where you can fail um, and you can learn a lot about yourself. And how do you, yeah, I mean, everything that you said, I totally, I feel that because, you know, I've been running for six years. Yeah. So I feel like 
I had that initial, as you described, the first time you're like, I just ran 10K. I've never yeah. done that before. Or, you know, maybe I can run it a bit faster. Maybe I can run a bit further. But I feel like now I'm, I'm in, you know, I know, I think I know what I can do. You know, kind of, I feel like if I'm honest, the mental barriers that you're describing I need to right now I'm, I'm doing the London Marathon next mm-hmm. year and I really want to kind of challenge my mindset because the physical I'm like okay I know you can train you know you can get the training program you can do the miles yeah. but for me I definitely think there's mental barriers around, whether that's around pace whether that's around I don't really know what you know what I mean how to yeah. describe it but how do you I guess going from marathons to ultra even that you know that's a huge thing mm-hmm. but how do you stay I guess keep it stay motivated when you've been doing something for so long yeah you know to to go actually okay here we go again let's let's start this training cycle or let's sign up to that race yeah well you know what's interesting about motivation is that um it is so uh fluid and fickle and it's actually um discipline that is what keeps us doing what we do So I like to talk a lot about consistent effort um, and I talk to my athletes about that and I try to practice that myself, um, even if it's not necessarily in running, but in other aspects of my life, having um, rituals and routines that you do really help um, because you're not going to be motivated all the time and that's normal. Um, But I think the in order to really, um, you know, perform and like keep running, being a part of a community helps so much with the uh, discipline Mm. (laughs) and the consistency because you know, people are waiting for you and you know that they're going to be there and, um, they're going to hold you accountable even on days when you're like, uh, I would just rather go have a glass of wine and sit outside than go to this track workout. Um, that happens literally all of the time where you would much rather be doing something else. Um, So it really helps to be part of a group. Yeah, the accountability point for sure. And it's interesting me saying this and hearing this because I often am the person, you know, I'm an encourager. I'm the person who encourages and motivates others. And as you said, that motivation question comes up a lot. And I love, you know, that it is discipline and motivation. It comes and goes. It's never going to be there when you need it the most, you know. And I think often people get that spark of motivation to start, but the discipline to actually, you know, follow through and and carry on. And, you know, that might take four months. might take six months four years i don't know but you're not going to have as you said the motivation all the time it's just unrealistic yeah and you touched then on rituals and routines which is perfect and with perfect segue because Mm -hmm. on the show the power hour my first hour of my day is what i call my power hour Mm -hmm. because it's you know I didn't used to have a morning routine but I actually started one when I trained for my first marathon nice. and at the time my son was young and I needed more time you know we're all time poor so many people tell me I don't have time Adrienne I don't have time so I had listened to Stephen Covey the seven habits of highly successful people mm-hmm. awesome book and he talks a lot about you know the morning and I thought okay if I don't have time I need to carve out more time first thing in the morning before my son wakes up and that's that's basically when I started my training but since then you know it's 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 really become a key part of my life it's changed my energy for life you know my my organization my motivation so many things 
So I'd really love to know from you, Jesse, if you have a morning routine, if you've always had it, what time do you get up in the morning? And what's yeah. the first hour like for you? Yeah. So I wish I could say that I'm successfully <laughs> doing a morning routine. Um, I actually really strive to be a morning person and it's very hard for me. Um, so I do my best and it's like an ongoing practice. Mm -hmm. Um, my rituals are either morning and night. Um, so often it's at night because that is when I'll have some control over time. Um, and one thing that I do is I have a little yoga mat next to my bed that I roll out. Um, and I will sit there and do my PT stretches um, and I'll typically do those at night before I go to bed. Um, and I doing PT because I've been running for 15 years and you just have to do it. <laughs> um, and it's hard to do, but, um, it's super important, especially if you want to run, keep running. Um, so that's a night ritual that I do. I also keep, um, a night table next to my bed with my books that I'm reading and I will always read like a few pages before I go to sleep. Um, and even if it's like one page, um, I just like to end the night on that note with something that's like interesting or important to me, like kind of in my mind. Um, I've also been using the Headspace app this year, which has been really great because I wanted to add meditation into my rituals. Mm -hmm. And so um, I listen to like a deep vibrational sounds um, when I go to sleep and it's amazing for like helping me um, like get into sleep. And if I do wake up in the middle of the night, I'll like put it back on again and go back to sleep. Um, so that's been like really helpful. But I would say in the morning, um, I'm a big matcha drinker. That's okay. become like a part of my routine over the last two years. And so I'll make matcha at home in the morning. And that's also kind of like a ritual for me. It's like boiling the water, you know, mixing the tea and then just drinking it at my table. Um, and it gives me that little bit of headspace in the morning too, to kind of think about like, what am I going to do today? What do I have planned? What do I need to pack in this bag? Um, and um, just be mentally prepared. Awesome. That's nice. Yeah. So I think the the ritual aspect of it is what is 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 important there you know it's something that you do every day it's yeah. consistent yeah so you know it kind of takes out that decision making first thing it's like this is what I'm doing and then you can you know think about what's next in the day yeah. and why specifically matcha do you do you still drink coffee or is it instead of coffee so I love coffee um but usually it kind of upsets my stomach um okay. just with the acidity so I had started drinking matcha like a couple of years ago and um, it just was popping up more and more also at coffee shops because it's super trendy now. Mm -hmm. um, but it's great because I can drink it and not feel like I'm getting the like anxiety jitters, which sometimes coffee does for me. Um, so mostly I'm doing matcha and then um, coffee, like if it's not available or if I really need it, if I need like a caffeine jolt. Cool. Yeah, yeah, I hear you with the coffee. I hear you. Um, I have two questions that I want to ask you. One is about 
you know, for anyone listening to this who is a runner, I'm sure they're going to love it. I'm sure they're going to get in touch and I'm sure they'll, you know, they'll reach out. But anyone who's listening to this who is not a runner, who yeah. maybe thinks, oh, okay, Adrienne, we know you love running and Jesse, you know, you love running. You guys are runners. Yeah. What would you say to those people uh, and how could they maybe just just consider giving it a try? Yeah. Why should they? Um, I would say why you should is because you'll never know until you try. <laughs> um, and I would say so many of the really beautiful things I have in my life today are because I started running, um, which is really powerful actually. And that has to do with relationships, friendships, travel experiences, um, career, it's it's kind of crazy, but all of them stem back to this one act of putting one foot in front of the other. And um, I will also say, if you've never ran before, that um, it is daunting, it's hard, it's scary, and, and also for all of us that do it all of the time. Um, and it's amazing, like, I can finish a marathon, have a good experience. And then, you know, two weeks later, I'm like, I feel like I'm starting over from square one. Um, and running one mile feels hard again. And so um, it is, it's a practice. So if anyone wants to get started, um, you don't have to be perfect. And you shouldn't be perfect in the beginning. Um, and no one, no one of us will ever be. Um, I really think starting small and not waiting until you're ready. Like just do it today um, because you're never going to be ready. You know, that's the reality is like doesn't matter if you have the right clothes. You don't need the right clothes. I was running in weird stuff for a really long time. Um, you know, just starting even with walking um, and brisk walking is really um, a great place to start. My second question for you is what's next? What is next for you? What are you excited about? Do you have any new run challenges coming up? Yeah. Um, well, it's been a really big year. I, um, I've been to a lot of places this year. I have. I traveling. I've been all over the world. Um, I coach for Adidas in New York, um, currently, and I've just been fortunate to be on a couple of projects that were um, global projects where I worked with international runners. One was the Speed Project, um, a really crazy race from L.A. to um, Las Vegas. And that was uh, earlier in the year. And we actually broke the course record. So it was pretty exciting. Um, and that was a relay. It was a yeah. relay. Yeah. Um Incredible. And basically you run as fast as you can from LA to Las Vegas. So how, how many people in the team? We had six people. Yeah. Um, it was a runner from a different city around the world. So um, that was also really interesting. People didn't necessarily um, speak the same language. So it was really like using running um, to communicate. Um, I have another team that's going to be going after that race this year. And that's now with my group girls run. So, um, I will not run. I don't think, um, but I'll probably help coach that team. And, um, I'm excited about that. Mm. I have an ultra marathon coming up in February in Arizona. 
that I've got to start training for. And I'm excited to try to get strong and healthy for that one. Um, and I'm also just, um, you know, kind of at this point where in my career, it's been more about merging art therapy and running together. Um, because for so long they were two separate parts of my identity. And so I've been working on this, um, concept called restorative running and um we'll be doing more of that this year um and so I think for me it's like pushing myself um again out of my comfort zone to um really get this new way of working like up and running um amazing amazing well I'm I'm always watching I'm always seeing you know what you do where you are you as I said you you inspire so many people because you do lead by example, and mm-hmm. I don't think you ever, I don't know, you never kind of seem to tell people, you should do this, or mm-hmm. you should try that, or you should do it this way. I feel like you are so humble, and you've done so many incredible things, but when people meet you, you know, you're just just so welcoming and, and warm and lovely, and I don't think, yeah, modest is the word that, that springs to mind, but we all see you, Jesse. We all oh. see you. So I just want to say thank you from, you know, the running community. Um, and please keep doing what you are doing. And um, before I ask you my closing question, could you tell the listeners where they can find you online? Where can they see what you're doing? Yeah. So um, I am on Instagram and I'm really big on stories. Um, actually, another goal is that I'm going to get more into video this year. So um, if you want to follow along, my handle is Jesse Zappo, um, and that's Jesse, J-E-S-S-I-E. Zappo is Z-A-P-O, only one P. Um, I think that's a good place to follow along because I'm pretty active on there um, and often in real time. Um, but also I have a website, jessiezappo.com. Um, you can go to and see some of my work. And um, and if anyone's visiting New York, like I was this week, yeah. can they can they come and join um, the run community for a run? Absolutely. Um, my whole thing is please join me in whatever I'm doing. And so um, you can absolutely find me at Girls Run NYC. Um, that's a weekly touch point for women. And then um, Adidas Runners NYC. So we're on Facebook. We're also on um, Instagram. I'm always open to people just DMing me and messaging me um, and encourage people just to come, come and run with me. Amazing. So this is a little bit of a power hour first because the closing question is always the same. And I've been doing this podcast for almost a year. We're almost coming up to the one year anniversary. And I always ask people the same closing question, which is about time. I'm kind of obsessed with, you know, the concept of change transition how you know in the space of a year or 10 or 20 you know things change so much and Mm -hmm. some things remain and I'm always you know optimistic and hopeful about time but I also think that it's just goes you know it's so valuable but we can't have it we can't hold it you know so I always ask people what is the most valuable thing that time has taught you Mm. but I'm going to change it for you Jesse for the first time ever (laughs) I know I know like wow to what is the most valuable thing that running has taught you wow um uh that's hard to narrow down but I would say off the top of my head that I am limitless there are no limits 
absolutely love that yes I'm going to take that as my mantra to start training for the London Marathon 2020 I know lots of people have just found out in London from the ballot if they've got a place so yeah anyone who's about to embark on winter training I'm with you and we are limitless yes awesome thank you so much Jess it was awesome awesome have you on the show thank you so much for listening I really hope that you enjoyed this episode please do let us know reach out share it you can review us on iTunes um, rate all of that good stuff and yeah I definitely encourage you to follow Jesse online whether you are a runner or not it's she's really really an incredible woman so thank you Jesse. thank you so much see ya up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com 